A match is a tiny thing, isn't it? This tiny little flame, and it doesn't seem like much. But we all know this tiny little flame can grow into something huge. It can grow into something powerful if we're not very careful to make sure that flame doesn't do damage. And in the book of James, we're talking about fire. Anybody ever been on Chimney Rock Trail in uh, the Gatlinburg area of Tennessee? Beautiful trail. And, and at the start, it's a fairly normal trail. As you're traveling up through it, you'll see you know, the usual gentle slope that sometimes inclines more. You see streams. You get up to the top. You see this beautiful mountain view off in the distance. It is a fairly normal trail until you get to the chimney. And at the very top, and you get to see Bearded Dan. Not many people have seen Bearded Dan. At the very top of that chimney, yes, Bearded Dan. It was a good year, actually. I miss Bearded Dan. You reach the top of the trail, but there's a little bit more to it. There is this chimney. And you see how frightening it looks in that photo. And I'll tell you, it is both more and less frightening in real life. Because as steep as that incline is, you can climb it safely if you can just find the courage to do it. I did not. (laughs) I got to the top and I looked at it and it was just too steep for me, so I didn't quite make the climb up to the top of Chimney Rock, but I got it in my mind. I said, I'm going to go back. I'm going to conquer the top of Chimney Rock someday. Well, fast forward to November 3rd, 2017. Within a year of the time that I climbed Chimney Rock, some kids were walking through the forest, and believe it or not, they were lighting matches and throwing them into the forest. Sometimes kids do literally insane things for fun because that is terrifying. But that's what they were doing. They were throwing these matches into the forest and it was dry enough that these matches did not just burn out on a wet ground, but they burnt and they caught fire and it devastated the Obergatlinburg Pigeon Forge area. Acres upon acres burned, buildings burned, lives were devastated by this Fire caused by these small matches. You see, fire is powerful. And Chimney Rock Trail was affected as well. You see, the trail itself is open again, but that top part with the chimney, it is closed. So far as we know, it's closed permanently. And I will never get my opportunity to conquer the top of that trail because of the devastation of that uncontrolled fire. You see, James 3, 5, and 6, it tells us the tongue is a fire. We've heard of wildfires starting from a campfire that wasn't completely out, a cigarette irresponsibly thrown out a window, a gender reveal party gun, horribly, horribly wrong. But the tongue? The tongue is a fire? Now, we hear rappers say spitting fire which I can't say because I sound ridiculous, but I hear people say it. We might hear a speech and say that was fire, and, you know, we know it's true. We've seen the tongue begin proverbial wildfires 
that have burned hot through our culture in the past few years. Consider these words and the reaction each one gives you. Don't hate me. Mask. Vaccination. Anti-vaxxer. Immigration. Black lives matter. Blue lives matter. All lives matter. Socialism. MAGA. Trump. Biden. Pineapple on pizza. If I'm not mistaken, every one of you had a visceral internal reaction to at least one of those words. And it wasn't the word alone. It was the power and meaning each of us have internalized in relation to each word. I suspect every one of you has encountered or participated in at least one discussion in the past year that got heated maybe even severing relationships. I bet a lot of you have some post-traumatic stress over the devastation one of those fires has wrought in your life. I know I do. I bet a lot of you have some post-traumatic stress, and in many cases, I bet you have a relationship that was permanently broken because the tongue, the tongue is a fire. And what we say, what we say is powerful, and that's at the heart of this message in the book of James. What we say is powerful. The tongue is like a rudder with the power to control ships, and ships were the largest mode of transportation in the day that James was writing, and these little rudders, they had the power to control them. We're talking about the biggest thing that people in their day could control. And we're talking, it's a passage about controlling horses. Now, horses, they pulled the chariots of their day, which were essentially the tanks. They were an incredibly powerful, powerful thing. And guess what pulled the tanks? The horses. You see, this is a passage about fire, yes. But it's a passage about how devastating fire can be and how these little Words that seem so small can control and direct powerful things. See, James 3, 5, it tells us the tongue is a small part of the body. And James makes a bit of a play on words here because he talks about the body. And of course, we've, we've got bodies. And I hope we all in, in here have tongues, unless you're the guy from Robin Hood, men in tights, bless his heart. We have tongues. And, and yes, it, it's a passage about fire, but for those of us who are in Christ, it's a passage about our bodies and our tongues in the small picture. But also, when we talk about the body of Christ, when we talk about those who are in Christ, it is a body. So we're also talking about our effect on the body. And when we say that, that reminds us that when we talk about the tongue, this is also a passage about relationship. Now, we can, we can glance at that and we can think, oh, this is a book about works and about what I do because it's talking about the tongue. But when James talks about works, as controversial as that can be for some people, a guy named Martin Luther, we're not talking about Martin Luther King, we're talking about his namesake, the guy who sparked much of the Protestant Reformation and we are ultimately a result of that Reformation. And Martin Luther did not like the book of James because he was very focused on the role of grace and faith 
in our lives. And he felt like James was a very works-based book. So he called it an epistle of straw, or the more colloquial translation might be a right strawy epistle. Martin Luther was not impressed because he felt like it stressed our works over our faith and grace-filled relationship with God. And he rebelled against anything that sounded like works. But at the core of the book of James, you see, it's not works. It's relationship. It's that royal commandment that we are called to love God and love other people. We see it in the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. We can connect each of those to our love for God or our love for other people. And we see it in Jesus' great commandments in Mark 12, 30 to 31. Love God and love our neighbor. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love our neighbor as ourself. So even when we're talking about apparent works in the book of James, those are not just works for the sake of work. They are not legalism. They are a challenge in living out that love for God and that love for other people. So when we talk about the taming of the tongue, we're not talking about the law. We're not trying to target people here. And I will say I am certainly guilty of failing to tame my tongue at moments. So this is not a challenge that I would list to someone else and not list for myself. But when we control our words, when we manage our tongue, it's about loving God and loving others with our words. And just like a fire in the right place at the right time, it can be a good thing, a powerful source for good, but in the wrong place and the wrong time and in the wrong way, it can be devastating and so can our words. At James 3, verse 3, it says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Let me tell you, the person in charge of the horse, the horse that makes a huge difference. Now, I've got a photo here. This is Karis. Now, Karis is one of our local students. She's hiding somewhere in here. What's up, Karis? Now, she is a good horse rider. She loves her horses. She takes care of them. Even me mentioning to her, uh, putting bits in the mouths of horses, she kind of flinched because she knew it's necessary, but she loves the horse and figured the horse didn't enjoy it too much, so she wasn't even excited about that idea because she's got respect for the horse and the way the bit guides the horse. But someone who doesn't have that respect, well, that's a different story. Uh, take Bob Baffert, for example. Now, I am not... I'm not very much in the loop with horse things and horse racing things, but I do love audiobooks, and I got one for free, so I had to read it because it was in my library, and it was an interesting book. It was called American Pharaoh, and it was about a horse named American Pharaoh, and American Pharaoh was a Grand Slam winner in the horse world. That's like the triple crown of horse racing plus one more race. So American Pharaoh won the Grand Slam, and this whole book was about his journey and how he came through his lineage of horses to be the great champion that he was. And his trainer is a guy named Bob Baffert. So the book makes him out to be this hero in the horse world, as people often like to have themselves made out in books. The problem is in the last year, Bob Baffert had some issues. See, it came to light that 
one of his other horses, Medina Spirit, was drugged before races. Now, the horse did not choose to take performance-enhancing drugs. The one who put the bit in its mouth, his trainer, chose that for him. And so Medina Spirit was caught cheating. And the reputation, in my mind, of not only that horse, but of every other horse that Bob Baffert has trained is called into question by that training. So much like our words, there's a visible thing, there's, there's the bit in play, and we can see that controlling, but there's also this subtext to all our words building up to them that affects the meaning that is perceived and just how our words can damage things. And in the case of Medina Spirit, the title was stripped. And in the case of Bob Baffert, he is suspended from certain key races. And in my mind, his reputation is shot in the horse riding world. See, if only he were the type of horse person that Karis is. Karis, you rock. Bob Baffert does not rock. <laughs> and thanks to that, his legacy is tarnished. And James, it starts small, seemingly small, with the bits in the mouth of horses, but then it goes to something bigger, these ships. James chapter 3, verse 4, it tells us, or take ships as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Now, in case you've forgotten just how important that rudder can be, just think of the Suez Canal this year. When global trade was crippled because the guy in charge of steering the ship did not do a good job. And the rudder is a relatively small piece of this ship, just like the tongue is a fairly small part of our bodies. And yet, the direction, the guidance our tongues give to how things go is powerful and can be dramatic and when it's not properly directing us, it can be devastating. Just like this ship that was trapped in the Suez Canal. Rudders and bits, they control something enormous even though they seem small. Turn the rudder too quickly and they, you risk a wreck, even a capsize. Use a rudder well and you know where you're going, unlike the drivers of the Titanic. But use the rudder well, and things turn out well. But the tongue, as we all know, is a little bit hard to tame. James even says that the one who can tame the tongue is a perfect man, back in verse 2. And when he says that, he's probably referring to, to a mature faith, like is mentioned in chapter 1, verse 4, if we want to zoom back several weeks. It, none of us is flawless in our words, but we can have a mature faith in our world. words. Three, seven, eight. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now think for a second. Is there a hurt in your life Distant hurt. Something someone said to you, maybe even as a child, that you remember to this very day. Yeah, every one of us. 
We've got these scars. I mean, I've, I've got hurtful words that date back 30 years for me, and I still remember them. Because our tongues, they can be life-giving, but they can also be full of deadly poison. Made even more challenging by the reality that we can say 10 nice things to someone and then one harsh thing that hits wrong and what sticks is that harsh thing. And that is a terrifying and challenging reality that the words of our tongue can be corrupted so readily. Now, Tatiana, you out there? Tatiana, can I borrow you? Can I borrow you? Come on up, Tatiana. Come see me. Come on up, Tati. All right. Tatiana, you look parched. And I have for you a nice, fresh, sealed bottle of water. You can break the seal. You have my word. It's good. So I'm just go ahead. That you, you broke the seal. You heard it snap. So you know your bottle is good. All right. I'm not playing a prank on you. Nothing you're unaware of. Take a nice big swallow of that water. Refresh your parchment. I've actually got another bottle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some too. Because I'm a little thirsty. It's refreshing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, what we have here is nice, fresh water. Now, Tatiana, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make one little addition to your water here. This is, this is not the ocean, but we do this. All right, so Tatiana, this is the same fresh water that I just gave you. Same fresh water. Mm. Refresh. What do you mean it's not? You just, you literally just drank this water. Clearly the same water. Go ahead. Go ahead. But why won't, but Tatiana, it's same water. This is ocean water. This is, this is not ocean water. You literally... You literally just drank from it. See, it is purified drinking it water. Looks like it looks well. It ain't Gatorade either. Uh, so, Tatiana, you you refuse to drink this water. Yes, that is crazy. Why do you refuse to drink this I'm water? Not part of the ocean. You're not part of the ocean, Tatiana. You may have a seat. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Uh, James chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, it tells us, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I love how visual the book of James is. Because James makes it so clear for us. It's it's beautiful in its simplicity. You see, a nice, fresh bottle of water, that is great, that is refreshing, that is a wonderful thing. But you take what started as a nice fresh bottle of water, you add salt to it, and all of a sudden, even though the same water is in there that was before, we all know none of us want to drink this water. In fact, if people stranded in the ocean try to drink the salt water to survive, it will actually damage their bodies more quickly. 
See, the salt water is destructive. This contrast of these beautiful, good things. But once it becomes something else, once it is this salt water, the good that it could have done is damaged. It's corrupted. When it comes to our Christian faith, when it comes to loving God and loving others, if we let that salt get into our relationship with someone, it tarnishes even the best parts of our testimony, even the best parts of our trying to love them. All of a sudden, we've got those tarnished moments damaging it. And the more salt gets in there, the more it's tarnished. And I don't know about you, but that is challenging to me. The power of our words in our relationships to one another. I, I want to rewind a little bit, though, because I feel like this verse is particularly, particularly a challenge for me and for us in the coming year as a family. See, James chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect person able to keep his whole body in check. See, in our bigger context, James is giving a message that's helpful for all of us in whatever situation we face and knowing that the tongue is a fire. But the main audience, the main group of people listening to what James wrote when he originally wrote it was the church. And so he's really focused on the teachers, those who would take on leadership in the church. And know that just like our church, we, we desperately need good teachers, people willing to do a good job teaching to step in. But just like the situation for the church in James, they had a shortage of equipped and gifted teachers willing to step in. So we can relate to them somewhat in that. But just like James' message really applies particularly to the church we are challenged as a church in our words. And I want to challenge us in particular, as Scott comes on as our pastor, which I am so excited about. Such a cool heart. Such a cool family. And I am so blessed that they are coming. But what I know from being on staff in churches in the past and being part of that ministry is I know that within a staff, you hear hurtful things. And sometimes people don't think about what they say, or worse, sometimes they do. And matches get tossed into the forest, and the fire starts to grow in a church family. And, and I'm not saying there's never anything valuable to say, but I'm saying the way we say things, the heart with which we say them, the timing with which we say them, and the love with which we say them has a profound impact on the organization, and on helping a new pastor get a start. Because what I know is no matter how amazing a job he may do in the next year, at some point, some decision our church makes will annoy you. That's no matter how good a job he does. Every decision could be the best decision. At some point, it will annoy you. So my challenge to us is to tame our tongues as a church family, to think about what we say and the value of it. 
Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because we know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. James reminds us of this challenge. Well, the fires we can start. And the more we speak, the bigger the fires can get, and it's tempting to never talk, to never teach, to never venture the risk. But even here, James recognizes no one is perfect. We all stumble. But just like a controlled fire has the power to do good, we have to use our voices. Don't forget the rudder, though. Don't forget the bit. The question is, will our words build each other up? Will they show our love for God and our love for others? Or will our words be a destructive force? When we do speak, will we realize the enormous power of the messages we communicate? Will we weigh our words, consider our motives, and trust God's guidance? If our words must be a fire, will they be a campfire, a controlled burn, a flame that makes the world brighter for Christ? What impact will our words have? Will they be a powerful force for good? Or will we toss matches into the forest? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you, God, that even when we slip up in our words, that you have the power to bring good out of our little stumbles, little goofs. We thank you, God, that you do choose to use us, that you use our words. And we pray, Lord, that we would faithfully seek to use our words to speak in a way that brings glory to you that reflects your love and our love through you for others to this hurting world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.